what I try to just always instill in people is there's very few things we can control, and that is the safety of your people and your cost. The rest of it you just got to deal with. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here this afternoon with my guest, John Wren, CEO at Tidewater. How are you this afternoon? Doing well, Paige. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Before getting into it, I wanted to please ask everyone to support the show by taking a few minutes to leave a review in iTunes, and I'll read it on the show. John, let's talk about how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Well, I got out of college and went to work in the insurance business, kind of followed my father's footsteps Mm -hmm. for about 18 months and quickly realized that was really not what I wanted to do. So at 22 and a half or almost 23 years old, I was talking to a friend of mine who had worked offshore for on a drilling rig for a drilling contractor and said, man, it was fun, made a lot of money, had a lot of time off. And I said, where do I sign up? And so I went to work in 1980 for Rowan Companies um, uh-huh. and thought, I'll do this for two or three years and figure out what I want to do when I grow up. And lo and behold, I worked offshore for 10 years and got the bug bit me about the offshore energy business. So I worked at Rowan for 10 years. In that year eight or so, I got married. Year nine had a kid. Year nine and a half was pregnant with her second son. And the rotational work and the back then the lack of communication it was just getting tougher and tougher to leave. So I started looking for a job shore-based. If you, from about 86 to about 92, the business was horrible. So yeah. I think I sent out 500 resumes and got zero responses. But Goodness. luckily, that same friend who recommended me to go work offshore was working for another drilling contractor, said, I think we got a spot. So I went to work there in 1990. And that company, four years later, was bought by another bigger drilling company and just stayed in all, so all my you, life. So what did you start out as, a roustabout? I started as a roustabout and ended up as what they call an OIM. What's that off, Offshore installation manager, tool pusher. I worked two years in the Gulf of Mexico, six years in the North Sea. What block? Oh, man, we Gulf, worked all over. All over? Yeah, yeah. All over from, from Corpus Christi all the way to New Orleans, back and forth. Oh, so. yeah. And then in the North Sea, I worked kind of half the time in the Southern North Sea and half the time in the Northern North Sea, but all on the U.K. side. I never worked in Norway. Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That's scary, That all that wind and, yeah. There were some exciting days. Yeah, I bet, I bet, <laughs> needless to say, right? So other other than the first downturn you had to go through <laughs> and the second downturn, yeah. what are some other challenges? Well, I think the the biggest challenge that we faced in, in the offshore space and pretty much all the oil field service, whether you're onshore or on land, a, it's very capital intensive and it's very cyclical. Mm-hmm. So you go through the wild swings. Obviously, we had the tough swing of the 80s when we kind of hit the skids in 83. The mantra in the industry was stay alive till 85. <laughs> we didn't realize it was probably going to be 1995. Wow. Uh, we yeah. were thinking 85. And so we've gone in some fits and starts. I will tell you that, you know, the first big tough downturn in my career was the 80s. It was a, it was a horrible downturn. We kind of clawed our way out of it. And we've had some minor dips. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say the cycles were steeper and shorter, but on both coming down and going back up until this cycle. 
that really started. This cycle started really, I think, in my opinion, in early 2014, mm. before oil prices collapsed. Yeah. I think a couple drivers there, the equipment had been overbuilt mm-hmm. heading into, you know, oil had been 100 and robust spending by our clients around the world, and we had overbuilt. At the same time, if you looked at our customers' return on capital employed, the Exxons, the Shells, the BPs, yeah. et cetera, their return on capital employed was in direct inverse relationship to the price of oil. So if you just looked at that and saw the equipment coming, you got a sense that this thing was about to hit the wall. But dearly exasperated in Thanksgiving of 14 when Saudis did not defend oil price and oil collapsed to below $30. And at that point, so many companies had taken on so much leverage to build the new equipment to meet the never-ending demand that it was just not a sustainable business environment. And you've seen what's happened you know, post that with a number of bankruptcies, both ENPs, oil service, whether it's everybody. land or offshore, everybody no. just got crushed. And now we're slowly working our way out of it. Well, speaking of now, let's talk about Tidewater okay. and, your, and your place there. Great. You know, Tidewater's been around since 1955. They were the, the company that built the first offshore supply vessel, the Ebb Tide, a great legacy, a great company, operations globally, went through the bankruptcy in the summer of 17 which is always tough. Got the balance sheet yeah. cleaned up. So the balance sheet's in pristine shape right now. We have 450 of debt and 400 million of cash. And we're not burning cash, knock on wood, at this point. And then we, we closed a very, very good acquisition in November. Mm-hmm. We bought a competitor, Gulfmark, that okay. had 66 vessels, who also had gone through bankruptcy in late, later in 17. So we were able to facilitate the transaction with all equity. So we kept our balance sheet in great shape. And that gave us, again, 66 more vessels. Roughly half of those were active. Okay. And the big piece of that was the, the, their big presence in the North Sea, both in Norway and the UK. At Tidewater, we had seven vessels between the two regions, and now we have 28 vessels between the two regions. So it was a big move for us there. Gave us more scale in the U.S. Gulf of Mexico, as well as brought in a lot of good people, also, some systems on the ERP system. Uh-huh. We're moving, migrating from the legacy Tidewater system into the, which was Oracle PeopleSoft, into Gulfmark's SAP system. And we're already seeing the benefits of that. The, the integration between the two teams that, that did a great job of planning and then more importantly, executing. We hit the ground running from November 15th to December 31st. We had closed five offices, made the appropriate headcounted reductions and got the right people in the right seats. So marketing, HS&E, everything was just, you know, clicking right off the get-go. So our next piece to really finalize the execution of the integration will be the implementation of Go Live October 1st under one system, the SAP. Oh, wow. Okay. And I think to kind of show how well we've done on integration, when we announced the deal in the second quarter of 2018, combined at the time we had, as combined companies had $145 million of G&A. Uh-huh. And we told the market we were striving to have a hundred million exit rate GNA at the end of nineteen. In March of this year, we came out and said we're already at ninety million is our goal. So we've been able to achieve that. So again, good work by all involved in the integration. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, you know, just like you said, moving forward. Moving forward. That's right. Feet on the ground. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? Persistence. Yeah. Just. There's no one piece of advice that you could give somebody. I think that it's, I mean, in this business, first, you got to love it because mm-hmm. it's it'll drive you crazy with the cyclicality, the ups and downs, and then seeing good people 
you know, get swept out for no reason of their own, but just a numbers game. And with the, as the business shrinks, you've got to shrink your organization to meet the new business size of, of the business around the world. So it takes persistence. It takes optimism. I think it takes integrity. You have to be honest with people and, and not and try transparent. To, yeah. And transparent. Uh, and, you, you know, for me, luckily, I stumbled into something I loved. So you grin and bear it through the tough times. You know it's coming. And, and I think what I try to just always instill in people is there's very few things we can control, and that is the safety of your people and your cost. The rest of it you just got to deal with. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So what book influenced you the most? You know, interesting. I was a, I don't read as much as I used to. For some reason, I'm getting lazy. But I was a very vociferous reader for a long time. And it kind of goes in different categories, I guess. Obviously, born and bred a Catholic. I'm not at the foot of the altar by any stretch. But obviously, the Bible has played a, a part in your life. Right. I think this is how I was raised and continue to live. And I think there's a Leon Uris is a famous writer. He's since passed away. He wrote a really unique book, if you follow him, that did not fit his normal genre. It was called Goofa Duster. Goofa Duster. Goofa Duster. Try spelling that yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> Just as it sounds, actually. And it was a story about a Jewish boy going away to camp and not fitting in and how socially challenging that can be if you if you don't fit in with the in crowd. It was a, so it, And I read it probably in my mid-20s, and it just has made an impact on me to, you know, to understand that there's people out there that have a lot of talent that somehow can't get in the inner circle and to not to judge people and, and view them as an outcast just – they're just itching to get in, and all they need is an opportunity. Right. was kind of the genesis of that book, so that, mm-hmm. that's really helped me. And then I think one one of the bit, multitude of business books I've read, Good to Great, sticks in. And then uh, there's I think another, somebody's actually said that before. Yeah. yeah. And then there's another book, Who Moved the, Who Moved My Cheese? Because <laughs> the business always changes, and yeah. you've got to be in a maze and trying to figure out how to get there. Yeah, I like that one. That's great. I haven't. Yeah, I think I'm going to look into that one yeah. specifically. What's your most used business tool? Information, and I don't know that's broad, but it comes in many forms. I think, one, good communication with your employees. They're, they're, feeder, they're closer to the fire than I am. And so whether it be what's going on in the, out in the business somewhere, supply and demand, what's the problems in accounting, what's the problems in marketing, but just that information flow, and wherever you can get information and try to connect the dots. Because okay. it you read The Economist and you see something about the economy somewhere in the world that goes, uh-oh, this could cause a slowdown, or hey, this could be, we could see some GDP growth here, and this could you know, increase the demand for oil, which could increase the demand for our services. So just, again, absorb as much information as you can from any source. Be a sponge. Yeah. Very good. Who's your most respected competitor? That's tough to say because those that are left are mm. all pretty tough. <laughs> and you have to be resilient in this business. Yeah. And then we have, given that we have a global footprint, we also have some regional competitors. So, you know, we don't we don't compete against everybody all over the world. Mm-hmm. But by and large, again, the, the larger providers of OSV services are all doing a pretty good job just to be stay, hanging around. So it's have to give them all a lot of respect. It's Excellent. a tough business. Yeah, it definitely is. What's your most important lesson learned? Oh, probably arrogance kills. Because we get on a very nice cycle in this business, and you get to thinking you're way smarter than you are. A little you, cocky. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think when you, if you, if you let that get to you, that hubris get to you, that you're going to get knocked off pretty quick. Yeah, it, it blinds you. Yeah, it's a tough business. You're one cycle away from getting 
you know, your feet knocked out from under you. So I think that just... Everybody's replaceable, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, good one. What's your favorite podcast? Never listen to one. Oh, well, I hope you listen to this one well, when with, it goes with, out. With a jaded ear, I guess, but I will. <laughs> Don't blame me. <laughs> <laughs> or a critical ear, I would say. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to add to anything? No, I just think that thank you for doing this. It's yeah, uh, uh, Jason, who runs our investor relations, has been on me about we've got to do more reach out and not just do the traditional, not what they call non-deal roadshows and us reaching out to investors or customers and this is another avenue that I think we're going to continue to utilize to try to get the story out. Yeah, a little difference. Yeah, yeah. a little difference. Good. Yeah. All right. So if people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about Tidewater, how can they go about doing that? Give you all the information you need. And you're on LinkedIn, of course. I'm not on LinkedIn. I'm a, I'm a kind, of old, I'm kind of an old school guy. So. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, don't blame me. You are the CEO, so... <laughs> All right, so that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Thank you, Paige. Thanks. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil & Gas Industry Leaders podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com. 